Quick preaching update. When we launched as a church two weeks ago, God spoke to us, you remember, I referred to it again last week, through two prophetic words about digging deep into the truth of who God is and his word and about building on the pillars of our faith. And amazingly, we had already planned two preaching series for the first part of this year. The first starts next week, okay, and it's called um, Belonging to God's Story. And it's going to be taught by Jonathan and Johnny and Rich and looking at our foundations and looking at what is it we're building upon. What what are we um, sinking our foundations, our roots into? And adding to these developments, our plan to launch four Freedom in Christ life groups next week, which is exciting, and many of you are already signed up. More on that later on as how you can sign up if you haven't already. It should be clear to all of us that God, in this time for us as a church, wants us to know the truth and stand strong in our identity as who we are as Christians. God's desire for each of us is to make us more like his son, Jesus. That is God's overarching desire that he's revealed to us in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to sink our roots down into Jesus and uh, seek to become more like him as a church. And I believe that God wants to lead this church in faith into a future of health and fruitfulness and a future where we see God's kingdom come in increasing measure and a future where we really start to see our long-held vision realised, to see Jesus, the most talked about person in this city, to be for the good of the city, to do the city good and to impact nations with who God is and that's already happening has been happening for a long time but I believe that there's more and that God wants to grow us in that and in order to follow where he's leading we need to sink our roots down deep and we need to overcome some of the barriers that can hold us back from spiritual health and courageous faith I don't know about you I want to be spiritually healthy and live courageously in faith I mean I think we probably all do if we're Christians that's how we want to live but there are some things that can hold us back from that And one of those barriers, as I referred to last week, is the barrier of fear. And I do not believe that God wants fear to hold any of us back individually or as a group. And I don't believe that God wants fear to be part of our future together. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to teach some biblical truth into this subject to help us. Now fear can take many forms. But... I think there's one particular type of fear that is pretty big in our society and it's big in our lives, and that is anxiety. So that's the subject I'm going to be looking at today, the subject of anxiety. I'm going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about that. Now, I realise that even the mention of that word could be a trigger of it for some people here. And I just want to start by encouraging all of us but you specifically who struggle with anxiety, all of us struggle with anxiety from time to time. Some of us do struggle with it chronically. And so I just firstly want to say, if that's you, you are not alone. There are others in the room in a similar state. And as you're going to go on to see, it's a very, very common thing in the church and in wider society. And it is something that affects all of us from one degree to another. Excuse me one moment. So I'm going to do something a little bit unusual for a preacher. Um, 
Okay, if you need to leave the room during this sermon, you have full permission for me to do that. Now, people do sometimes do that. People come in late, people who maybe have to go and deal with their kids, or there's people who just need to go to loo. It's not unusual for a little bit of that to go on, but if you feel you just need to get out, then actually, I've checked with the, the refreshment team, and there is an urn of hot water out there and some tea. So if you fancy just going out getting a cup of tea and just having a bit of break, you're welcome to do that. Dangerous offer, I know, for a preacher to make, because the room could empty. <laughs> but most of you, I, I believe and trust, want to hear this and want to hear what God has to say, so you'll stick around. But um, just to put that out there, you can always listen back online later on if you have to. So we're going to look at the problem of anxiety, um, and so we are going to sort of focus a little bit on, on the problem, and it's, there's some bad news, in a way, to look at first, but then we're going to draw some hope from the Bible, and I'm going to give you some hopefully very practical pointers from God's Word as to how we can learn together to navigate the tide of anxiety and live in freedom from it. This is, there's good news here um, today, I believe. There's good news for us all, um, because there is a way of overcoming anxiety, um, which God gives us. And just, just to say another caveat, sorry, we like caveats sometimes, don't we, our preachers? Um, but really, I do not want to, in anything that I say, and even the mention of, look, there's hope. You know, I know it can paint a narrative of, there's a problem, and the Bible offers an answer, and it can just sound a bit simplistic. And I know that some of the things that people are facing, even right now, are genuinely very, very, very difficult things. I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be in your shoes, okay? And I know that, I, I just want to recognise that. And in, in no way, my intention is to be true to God's word and to proclaim the hope that there is there. But I don't want to in any way come across as sort of like trite or that there's easy answers or there's a quick fix formula. Um, so I hope I don't, I trust that I won't, but I just wanted to say that anyway. Okay, well I mentioned anxiety as being like a tide, and I think that's true to say, that's quite a good picture of what it's like. It's a tide is like something that pulls you along, and really it is like a tide in our society. Um, in fact, it's almost got to the point, I'd say, that we could almost ask, is it our lot as 21st century humans to be anxious? It's so, so widespread in our society. It's become such a big part of our shared experience. Um, and we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit. So we can be anxious about work, can't we? We can be anxious about situations. We can worry about, about it's Monday morning, tomorrow, what we're going to face when we go into work. We can be anxious about home life. Um, we can be anxious and worry about money. Are we going to have enough to make ends meet? About how to bring up our kids. Are we good enough parents? Are our kids going to turn out all right? Maybe it's it, whether it's even right to have kids. Do we want to bring children into this world? I know it's a question that people sometimes have. So there's many, many things that can make us worry. We're also, on a bigger societal level, we, we worry about the environment. That's become a thing. Eco-anxiety has become a, a recognised trait. We worry about what's happening to the world. Are we destroying our world? Is there an end happening? Is there, are we staring Armageddon and oblivion in the face? We worry about the environment and the world. We worry about political discourse. And some would say, you could argue, well, there's, there's, there's grounds for that because politics has become increasingly hostile, divided, 
difficult, there's no easy answers, and political discourse has become increasingly um, acrimonious, you know, more conflict, more hostile. So we can be anxious about what's happening in, in society as well. And of course we have FOMO as well, the fear of missing out. That's a, a, new, a new trait perhaps. We've been essentially sold a lie that you can be whoever you want to be, and so you should be in on whatever great experiences there are to be had in the world. Okay, so you see, see uh, someone's Instagram post, you see someone's social media feed, and you think, man, their life looks fun. Um, I'd love to be doing that. Um, I wish I could be doing that. At this very simple level, that is what FOMO is about. You see other things that are happening and you think, I'm missing out on that. In a recent article in The Independent entitled, How Anxiety Became Society's Prevailing Condition, the writer says this, it seems we have entered a new age of anxiety, monitoring our heart rates, swiping ceaselessly at our iPhones, filling meditation studios in an effort to calm our racing thoughts. Social media is a big factor in this. On one hand, it's been positive in increasing conversation and breaking taboos. So there's some good that's, that's happened there. But the, the, the writer continues, in our always on culture, Checking your phone is the last thing you do before you go to sleep, the first thing you do if you wake up, when you wake up in the morning, and in the middle of the night when you go to the bathroom, also something that you do. I wonder if anyone <laughs> would admit that that's what they've done recently. Last thing at night, first thing in the morning, and in the middle of the night when you wake up to go to the loo. Suddenly you're hearing about collapsing Arctic ice shells. It's scary. Push notifications, apocalyptic headlines, hostile tweets. Countless studies have found links between online culture and anxiety. What's happened? Our brains have been overloaded. <laughs> that is what's happened. And there is a link. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, but there is a link between a kind of general anxiety disorder and an and overactivity in the brain, which our, our, our online culture does increase. Uh, that is just a part, a factor of life in, in, in 21st century Britain. So our brains have been fried <laughs> and we're, we're overloaded. Edwin Friedman um, has written a book called A Failure of Nerve. And it's a book, it's a leadership sort of book, but it's very interesting. It talks a lot into this whole question of society and anxiety in society. And he makes four features, explains four features of anxiety. And this, I think, is helpful because it just helps us to get a little bit deeper to understand how it affects us. And he says that, firstly, anxious people find it very hard to be calm or optimistic and instead can tend to be more aggressive or defensive. Okay, so it makes us reactive. Anxiety makes us reactive. We're not, we're not able to respond in a calm, measured way. It makes us reactive. Secondly, it makes us intolerant to conflict. We can't face it, we can't face conflict, we don't like conflict. Um, and there's an increasing thing in youth culture that I've heard about recently, and um, some of you who work with young people might, might have heard of this already, which is where there's, there's almost a fear of asking any questions at all, a fear of controversy. Um, and so young people are increasingly not even asking the question, is there a God? Because they recognise that to enter that debate is just such a controversial area that if you walk into that debate, you're, gonna, you're probably going to be shouted down or whatever side of the fence you're on. 
And so there's a withdrawal from even asking questions, from even just um, anything that could be conflict. Thirdly, this is nice, this, this is the bad news bit. Okay, this is the sort of less encouraging bit, but it's important to look at it. Thirdly, it makes us victims. We can't face taking the responsibilities of life. So there's blame shifting. Uh, he, he talks about how people can blame shift, particularly perhaps onto leaders, but, but generally um, that's another factor. And fourthly, it makes us look to quick fixes. So we seek the quick, quick fix relief from painful symptoms rather than making the deep fundamental changes that perhaps we might need to make. Anxiety gives us a low pain threshold. It makes us want to alleviate our pain as quickly and as easily as possible. If you're being honest with yourself right now, I wonder if you can relate to this. Okay, I know I can to some of it. If you, if you know, you recognise these traits in yourself, they could be symptoms of an underlying anxiety in your life. And Friedman, um, there's this quote that I'd love to share with you because I think there's, there's wisdom in it. He says, these factors prevent us growing towards maturity. The kind of maturity expressed in personal discipline and self-regulation the ability to identify and move towards greater strength, the ability to embrace challenges and respond constructively, patience in allowing time for growth, and the preservation of individuality and integrity. It's quite a lot of uh, meaty words in that, but I think that's, that's actually quite impactful. So it stops us maturing, it stops us growing, it stops us being able to become resilient and become strong. So what does the Bible have to say? That's what we want to get to, isn't it? What does the Bible have to say about this subject of anxiety? Well, um, the way that the Bible, particularly Proverbs 12, 25, might put what Friedman was talking about is that it says anxiety weighs down the heart. As Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down a heart. A heart that's heavy is less able to be steadfast in the face of the challenges of, of life. Um, and that, that, that is a fact of life, isn't it? If your heart is weighed down, then it does kind of reduce your ability to face up to what's going on. Tellingly, this is really interesting, last month the version Bible app, uh, many of us have probably got that, it revealed its most read Bible passage of 2019. I almost want to like see what people think it is um, and do a bit of a straw poll. But do you want to know what the most read Bible passage of 2019 was on the on the, on the um, version Bible app? It was Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That was the most read Bible verse on that app which is a, a global app yeah, encompassing Christians from all over the world. So again, you know, if you struggle with anxiety, be encouraged from that at least that this is very, very common. And as we've looked at, it's so widespread in society, it's, it's almost become like the air we breathe in or the water we swim in. It's almost become normal, it's become acceptable to even be motivated by anxiety because it's just, it's just normal. And so as Christians, we're, we're looking for 
God's word to speak into it. And this is where we're going to start today to look at what God has to say about anxiety. And that Philippians 4 is a great passage um, on that. So Paul, in Philippians 4, he writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And goes on to say about how the peace of God will, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about it? Well, like Paul... Jesus has similar things to say. In Matthew 6, famous passage, Jesus says, do not worry about your life. You know, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat because your father knows what you need. He says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Fair question. Do, do not worry about tomorrow as well. There's another thing that he says in that passage. So... Is that it? Is that the Bible's wisdom about anxiety? Just get over it, don't worry. Because on the face of it, that's what it, it can seem a bit sort of stark, can't it? It's like, oh, oh right, yeah, okay, so thanks, you know. I'm not supposed to worry, how, how do I do that? So let's try and dig into this a little bit deeper because I recognize that on the first, first reading, it can seem a little bit harsh perhaps. Well, in the Greek, this idea for anxiety or worry, which the New Testament was written in, it talks about, another way of translating it would be to say concern or care, your cares, your, your concerns. It's like an emotional state that comes from attaching importance to something. When we care about something, we think it's important. It's a very natural emotion. But with anxiety, there's a sense that that care has almost gone too far. Or that care has almost become a little bit misplaced. Okay, and what we need to do is we need to run our cares through the filter of God's word a little bit further. Almost like you might strain something through a colander or through a sieve. We need to put our cares, put our anxieties through the sieve of God's word and to find out what's real in it and what's not good in it. So that's what we're trying to do right now. And Jesus said, Father, your word is truth, didn't he? Your word is truth. And so when we come to God's word, we know that it's truth. It's, it's strong. It's that rock that we're building on. It's that firm foundation. We know we can rely on it. And so that's what we need to do. We need a truth-filled response to the word of God. And I know that's difficult when you're struggling with anxiety. But you need to hear that, that we need to see what God's truth has to say about it. So I'm going to attempt a biblical definition of anxiety, because I think you could just say, well, it's just worrying about things that you care about, worrying about things that are bothering you. But I'd say that if you're trying to define it biblically, there's a, there's a different way of putting it. And I'd say it's like this. It's an unease or an apprehension, fear, if you like, that stems from inappropriate concern about something uncertain. an unease or an apprehension that stems from an inappropriate concern about something uncertain. Not all concern and care is inappropriate. Okay? It's, um, there's lots of things that could happen that, could, that, 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 that are legitimate reasons to be concerned. Um, so, for example, if, um, if you oversleep 
your alarm tomorrow morning and you wake up and you've missed the start of work, it wouldn't be unusual, it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to feel a concern or even to feel worried about that. Um, or if you oversleep on the day of a job interview or something like that. There's often those particular situations that understandably they cause concern, they cause worry, but they're, they're linked to a particular situation. Once it fades away, then the worry fades away. There are other situations where you worry where it's a little bit less, um, less like that. So, for example, if I took my daughters to school and then left them and went home and I spent all day worrying that a bear was going to suddenly come and attack them in the middle of like, morning play, that would be a strange thing to be preoccupying my mind or my thoughts. Or even if I was worrying about maybe them falling over and hurting themselves, or I was worried about whether they're going to have friends, or, you know, there's certain other things that maybe you start to think, well, those are, those are okay to worry about, aren't they? Well, they're okay to have care about, they're okay to have concern about, but perhaps worry, perhaps anxiety takes it further. And I guess it's when it becomes habitual, it's when it becomes a regular feature of your life, that's when it becomes a problem. Why is this? Why is it? Why is the Bible sort of not very kind to anxiety? Why does the Bible say we shouldn't have it? I'd say this is, this is the core of it, okay? If you look at our society, you look at a culture that has rejected and forgotten God. We live in a society now that is not a believing society. Many people do believe in society, but it is essentially secular. And um, you don't hear about God, you don't hear about spiritual beliefs, particularly beliefs in Jesus, um, much in society. And so, if you think about it, if you live in a context where you've forgotten God, there is no God, then there is actually more cause for anxiety and worry, I'd say. Because if you're not in control of a situation, then either someone else is, who you can't trust, or no one is. So there is, in that situation, there is real reason for worry because it's like, well, where's the world going? The world's in a mess. No one's in control of it. The people who seem to be in control of it, I don't really trust. I can only control this much of what's going on in my life or in the wider world. Therefore, what do I do with the gap? I worry. I'm anxious. Yet... This is not the truth. This is the bit where we can come in with something very, very different. There's like fresh air that comes in to this for us. Because the Bible reveals that there is a God who is infinitely powerful and who created and sustains the whole world. That is what we believe. I love the fact that we started with that Psalm 95. Just beautiful. Set it in context beautifully. He is the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. And we're like the sheep of his pasture. He's like the good shepherd who looks after us. So we can, we can trust in him. That's the setting that we find ourselves in as Christians. That's the gospel, what the Bible reveals that we know to be the truth. God is everywhere and he sees everything. And he is the God of love. And here's the thing. He is the God who can be trusted. He is the God who can be trusted. He is the God of love who cares. And you can give him your cares and he cares for you. So I'm sorry if, that, if that's still sounding a little bit too much of an easy answer. But the truth of the matter is we don't have to be anxious because of God. And for those of us who are Christians, 
you can hear this, you can believe this. And we, ha- we do have to choose to believe it. We do have to choose to resolve anxiety in our lives. There is a question, which is that would God command you to do something that you can't do? Okay, would this good God that we know about, when he says love one another, when he says build your life upon my words, when he says live in purity or whatever it is, yeah, they're not necessarily easy commands, but they're not impossible commands. So when he says, do not worry, do not be anxious about anything, he's not going to set us up to fail. That's not our God. He's going to help us to be able to do what he's commanded us to do. So maybe, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you can't dare to believe this, but I want to say to you today that, that a life without anxiety is within your grasp. There's another reason why perhaps it's difficult to just easily get rid of it. And that's because it's a spiritual issue. It's a psychological issue, it's an emotional issue, but it is very much a spiritual issue as well. And the Bible teaches us that our enemy, the devil, he does use it. He uses it and tries to get a foothold in our lives using anxiety. It's a strategy that he uses against us. And remember what he did right back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. He tried to convince Adam and Eve that God wasn't good. And that's what he does for us. He tries to convince us that God isn't good, God doesn't care, that God is going to let us down, and that therefore we have to worry. Okay. Um, the next passage we're going to look at is um, 1 Peter 5, 6 to 9. We're back in 1 Peter again. We can't quite leave 1 Peter. It's such a good book. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 6 to 9. Now, these are two sort of bookmark verses, um, but we may not realise sometimes that they're actually linked. Okay, so the first bit says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the second bit says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. They're two kind of very famous verses, but actually they're together in the same passage. You see, there's a connection between casting our anxiety on God and the prowling lion that comes and is looking for someone to devour. Okay, so we need to recognise that. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual battle. And like with all spiritual battles, we can feel it keenly, and sometimes we feel like we can't get ourselves out of this situation. But the reality is that Jesus has conquered that lion. And he may roar, but he hasn't got any teeth. Yeah, he may roar, he may shout at us, but he can't actually harm us. See, Jesus says that you know, the evil one cannot touch you. You belong to me. So hallelujah for that. Hallelujah. And so it means that God can release us from anxiety and enable us to live differently. Now recognise that with a, with a talk on a Sunday morning, you can't adequately fully cover this whole subject. And um, please, if this is something that you want to follow up on, then do speak to me or speak to um, people that you know. We might have a bit of an opportunity later to pray. Grab someone with you. Um, ask your questions. Wrestle with this topic. It's really important. And also... Um, Sign up to a Freedom in Christ life group if you haven't already, because going through the course will help you in this area. 
Okay, because it will help you to apply God's word to your life. So, just to finish off then, practically, bringing together what we've looked at, what we've touched on, on, you know, what the Bible says, what is the biblical antidote, if you like, to anxiety, this social disease that's in our society? What's the biblical antidote for it? There's loads of practical things, which is the kind of advice that you'll, you'll probably get from your GP, which is very, very good advice. Things like rest. Yeah, learn how to rest. Learn how to eat healthy. Um, cut back on caffeine. Um, take holidays. Moderate your use of devices. Uh, those are all things that are just good wisdom, which, can, which will definitely help um, to kind of have, bring more balance to your life and reduce anxiety. Keeping the Sabbath, uh, which is something that we talked about a lot um, in the last autumn term in preaching, have a day off every week when you don't work. Really important part of it. So those are some just like lots of practical things. But here's a few, um, just three biblical anecdotes. The first, sorry, antidotes. The first one is humble yourself. Okay, like it says in the passage we've looked at, humble ourselves before God. And this is really important. There's something that we need to do is let go of our own agendas and humble ourselves before God. You know, when we became Christians, sometimes we forget this. When we became Christians, right, we gave our lives to Jesus, didn't we? Right? Exactly. That's what we did, isn't it? We laid our lives down. We said, Jesus, okay, you died for me, so I'm going to die to myself now. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live in obedience to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that we don't always live like that because we still stumble and we slip up and we mess up and we don't always get it right. But ultimately, that is what becoming a Christian and being a Christian is about. And so we need to do that. We need to let go of perhaps any wrong goals we might have for our lives. And sometimes we can set ourselves goals that become something that we actually measure our whole life by. So all of us are working towards goals. All of us have things that we're trying to achieve in life. And certain things that we think will make us a success. And they might be things like getting a promotion at work, that could be a goal. Getting married, that could be a goal. Having children, moving house, maybe it's something like being popular. We all walk around, we carry these goals for our life that we want. And we say to God, you know, God, I'm following you, but that's the goal. Just remember that goal I've got. And sometimes we can become anxious when that goal isn't realised. And I realized, I didn't even know this. I didn't realize this was a thing in my life. I didn't really think I struggled with anxiety. I realized recently that it can hide itself sometimes. And you can have these goals for your life that, um, that actually make you feel anxious if you don't get them. The thing is with our goals, we have no direct influence over them. We, we can't make them happen. We can't make these things happen. The circumstances are outside our control. But it's okay, you don't have to, because we've given our lives to Jesus, right? We've died to ourselves, we've died to the things that we want. We're living for him now. Like he said in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom and all these other things will come to you as well. That's an antidote for anxiety, isn't it? Let's humble ourselves, die to ourselves. If you have one of these goals, they're not necessarily bad things. But maybe what you need to do is, is downgrade it in your mind from a goal to a godly desire. And there is a difference. 
So if, you, if you're living with a goal and you're thinking, this is what I want to do, and you're measuring everything by it, maybe if you downgrade it to a godly desire, then your whole success and identity and everything won't be so tied up in it. And you can say it to God. You can say, God, I have this desire. I feel like you put it in my heart even, but, but I, I really would love this thing. But do you know what? I'm just going to leave it with you. It's a desire. It's a good thing, but I'm not going to measure my whole life on it, and I'm not going to hold you, God, to ransom for it. That's important too. So if these things don't then happen, you might be disappointed, but it's okay, because ultimately it doesn't have to affect your identity. And remember what I said at the beginning, God's goal for each of us is to make us more like him. And that's a goal we can all get on board with, whatever's going on in our lives. So humble ourselves. It's quite a challenging one, but it's actually liberating to lay your life down, to lay your goals down and come to God. The second thing, second antidote to anxiety is to cast all our anxieties onto him. Or as it says in Philippians, present your requests to God. Okay, so this is about giving God your anxieties, giving God your cares, telling him about your cares, telling him about the things that, you, that you're worried about, Tell him, telling him those things. And it says, you know, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's the good shepherd. Sometimes we can think, oh, I, I can't, I don't, I'm not going to bother God with this. Or we can think, I know it's wrong to worry, so I need to deal with my worries first before I pray about this thing. Whereas actually, no, just cast your cares into God. He loves you, he cares for you, he wants to hear what you can do. So maybe that's something you need to do, just identify what am I really worried about and then just bring it to God and cast it on God. Now there's something very practical here that's just a little, another layer of this. But when you cast your anxieties onto God, there's a question to ask. And this is just a practical thing. Okay, it's what's my responsibility in this situation? And what's God's responsibility? Because often, things that we're worried about, we can actually do something about. Okay, so it may be a number of things. Maybe you need to forgive someone and then cast your anxieties onto God. Maybe you need to put something right that isn't right. Maybe you need to speak to someone you've offended and then cast your anxieties onto God. Maybe... You need to work hard and study for your exams. Maybe you need to um, um, work hard for that project at work. You know, you need to make sure you're being diligent. But then when you've done what you can, you need to give your anxieties to God. And, in, and learn where the boundaries are between those things. So do you see the difference? You do what you can do, sort of practically, and then give God the rest. You can confidently take the rest once you've done what you can do and say, okay, God, over to you. So your boss is saying, like, have that report on my desk by Monday morning, whatever it is. Then on Friday evening, when you finish and you sent it off and, and you think, is it all right? Is it good enough? I don't know. You can just send it and think to yourself, I've done my best. Over to you, God. Do you see? That's the biblical way. That's the biblical way. So where there's that gap that we often fill with anxiety, you trade that in for trust. Trade in anxiety for trust and give God that trust. Let, let trust in God be the thing that fills the gap of uncertainty.
let trust in God be the thing that fills the gap of uncertainty. Final antidote that I'm going to give to anxiety is rejoice or thankfulness to God. So Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. He's here. He's here with you. Uh, do everything with thankfulness. And this is important because this is, a, this is a great discipline to do because if you're thankful about what you have, then you will, it will help you to fully embrace your life. Yeah, it's an antidote to this whole FOMO idea, this whole grass is always greener on the other side. Rather than being anxious about what your life isn't, it will help you to be grateful about what your life is. And it will help to tear down that societal lie that says you can be who you want to be, you can reinvent yourself, you can do whatever you want to do, just go with your feelings. Whereas actually, we, we know that God, God has placed us where we are. God has put us where we are in our lives. God is with us in our lives. We're not just here by accident. We can be thankful for what God has done. And I wonder if we've got time for this, actually. Maybe, maybe not. We probably haven't got time, but I want to encourage you at some point. Why don't you take five minutes, set a timer, five minutes, and just thank God for five minutes. No prayers, no requests, just prayers of thanks. And try not to duplicate anything. See if you can thank God for five minutes for different things. I tried this and it was absolutely brilliant. It was incredibly liberating. And I came at the end of it thinking, hey, this is, my life's great. <laughs> and God is great. Try doing that. And continue these things, continue these antidotes until... That promise from Philippians 4 comes through. The peace of God comes and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, you are saved for peace. God wants you to have peace. If you're in Christ, if you know who you are in Christ, you don't need to win, you don't need to prove yourself. And this is, this is the final point, okay? When you live like this, when you live strong in who you are in Jesus and you know God with you, you can actually embrace pain you can actually face conflict and you can actually live with uncertainty. You don't have to run away from those things. You can actually take responsibility for your life. And when things are difficult, you can go through them with the grace of God. And obviously these are things that he used to teach us and things that he used to make us more like him, which is what he wants to do.